Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 1031. 1031. Well, today we're going to continue to lay the foundation for Bible study. I want to help you to have the tools to do the right kind of study so that you can find out really what God says so that you'll know how to obey Him and how to please Him. Now, the Bible is God's Word. God's Spirit, who inspired that book to be written, lives within our hearts, and He will aid us and He will help us. But we must help ourselves by learning how to read well, learning sentence structure, learning who is speaking to whom and how it is spoken, the context in which it was spoken. All of those things are very important. And God speaks to us primarily in the Bible. Now, I know people talk about dreams and they talk about how God spoke to them through circumstances, this, that, and the other. All of those things can be misinterpreted in a big way. And we've all lived to see, if we've lived any time at all, people that claim that God told them to do this and they dreamed this and it was assured that they did, and it didn't turn out well. God's Word always is accurate, and it is always true. It's always dependable. God is faithful. He will do what He says He will do. So what you and I need to do is to find out how to determine what God says. Now, I have said it over and over again across the states and around the world that we get into trouble when we say, well, I just believe this is what it means, or this is what it means to me. What we need to know is, what does it mean? Because God says what he means and means what he says. So what you and I need to do is find out what he says. Because it doesn't matter what Dr. Smellfungus told you in school or Aunt Lucy said to you about what she believed. What we need to know is what we believe based upon what God says and what God meant. Now, what God meant at one time, he means another time. He doesn't contradict himself. So how does God speak to us in his word? Well, over the years, as I have studied, prayed, studied more, sought counsel, studied formally, intentionally, intensely, the word of God, I have come to the conclusion that God speaks to us primarily in three ways in the scriptures. Now, I'm not talking about like in parables or elements of speech or this, that, that. How does God speak to us through the Bible? I believe every way that he speaks to us in the Bible can come under one of three or all three or two of three different ways. I have labeled those with a pod of peas, not because I'm into alliteration, but it is a good memory tool in this case. God speaks to us in the Bible by precept, principle, and pattern. The way that God speaks to us in the Bible can be summed up and categorized under precept, principle, and pattern. So let me explain. God speaks to us, obviously, in precept. Now, what is a precept? A precept is 
line upon line. It is, God says this, it is plain and simple, it is direct address, it is imperative, it is command. God says this is wrong, this is right. Those are precepts. You shall not steal, you shall have no other God before you. Do not covet do not lie. Those are precepts. God says, do not commit adultery. God says, for one man not to be lying with another man, that is, to have sexual relations. For one woman to not have sexual relations with another woman. Now, those are precepts. You and I don't get a vote on those. God says they're wrong. They've been wrong from the beginning. They'll be wrong until the end of time. You don't dilly-dally with comparison of evil. Well, if it's wrong to do this, and it's just as wrong to do. Nobody will argue about that, but the consequences of sin are different. All consequences of sin are different. Some sins have greater consequences than others. And I've tried to help people to understand this in many ways, and let me do it very simply. The Bible says that you are not to murder someone else. Now, murder has to do with the mind, with intention, and premeditation. And God says, don't murder. He doesn't say don't kill. He says don't murder. That is with premeditation in your heart. That's what the commandment is. A person can kill in self-defense. That's not murder. A person can kill in war as an actor of the state. That's not murder. Can murder be committed in war? Yes. Can murder be committed in self-defense? Yes. Because it has to do with the intention of the heart. Now, what I'm getting to is this. Jesus said, if you are angry with your brother and that anger takes root and seed in your life, what he's referring to, no one ever had the intention to murder someone else without first being angry. Now, that's the truth of murder. And so you say, well, what's the difference? I've already thought it. I might as well do it. Well, let me just tell you, that's different. Because sin is sin. Yes, it'll separate you from fellowship with God. But if you actually follow through on murder and not just think about it, then you're going to affect not only your life, but someone else's. See, the consequences are different. If you're thinking about killing me and you want to kill me and you desire to kill me, I'd appreciate if you'd keep it to yourself. Because if you act on that, you're not only going to affect me, you might get me out of the way, but you're going to break my wife's heart. You're going to break my children and grandchildren's heart. You're going to take me away from a lot of people that God has put as mentor to their life and to help them. And God put me on this earth to serve. And it is his responsibility to take me out, not you. And so if you're going to do something that is wrong, you think about that, that separates you and your fellowship from God. If you act on that, you're going to involve other people. So you see, the consequences, even in that simple way, are not the same. And I could show you illustration after illustration where that's true. So think about what I just said. There are some things that are right. There are some things that are wrong. Those are precepts. Those are when God says, this is the way you walk. This is the way you talk. Those are precepts. You can disagree with them, but they're not very much in debate. Okay, now the the second way God speaks to us, because God doesn't speak to us on everything by precept, but many times by principle. This is why it's so ridiculous for people, especially evangelicals, every time you say something, well, give me a verse on that. Give me a verse on that. They're wanting a quick answer. Well, there's not a verse on everything because some things are spoken of in principle. So I would say to every child of God that is an evangelical that worships on Sunday, where is your command to worship on Sunday? 
Sunday and gather together on Sunday. No, the command is to gather on Shabbat, and that's to the Jews. But if you look at the early believers who were Jewish, they also gathered together on the first day of the week. Why? Because they were Jews. They worshiped on Shabbat. They gathered together on Shabbat. They kept Shabbat. The apostle Paul did. The other Jews did in the New Testament. But why did they worship also on Sunday? I'll tell you why. Not because they were commanded. Why do we worship like they did? Not because we're commanded. There is no command in the Word of God to worship in the similar way that the Jews did on Shabbat to worship on Sunday. No, we do it because of the principle and the pattern. That's right, the principle and the pattern. For instance, why did the disciples worship on the first day of the week? It was not because they were commanded to. It was because they wanted to, and they wanted to remember that that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so they memorialized that, and they did that by coming together to praise him, to break bread together, to remember that he rose from the dead, to commemorate that day. You see, that's what all the holy days are. That's what all of the appointed times, that's what all the Moedim are about is about remembering, zakor, zakar. It is that idea of remembrance. And God gave us days. He gave the Jews days. He gives us days to remember. And the reason he does that is because we're so prone to forget. Listen, we can't even remember somebody that just told us their name 10 minutes ago or five minutes ago, and you think we're going to remember the great truths of God just because that we are told at one time? No, we've got to act it out over and over and over and over and over again and to remember and to recall and to teach our children why we're doing what we're doing. And this is part of understanding the warp and woof of the scriptures. That is, God speaks to us in line item, but not about everything. And so we worship on the first day of the week as Gentile believers and as Jewish believers. We worship Jesus then. We worship the God of the Bible then simply because it is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And the principle is that we celebrate and we remember that he rose from the dead victorious over sin and our sin debt was paid and was guaranteed by the resurrection from the dead. And so as they did that in the New Testament, so we pattern after that. That's what we're doing. We're patterning, not because we feel like it's a great day to worship or it's superior over Shabbat. No, not at all. The early disciples worshiped on Shabbat. They carried out what they had always done. They were in the synagogues as they had always done. They went to the temple as they had always done. Read the book of Acts and you'll see that. But they added another special day, and that was the day, the first day of the week, to remember that Jesus rose from the dead. So it's based upon the principle. What is a principle? A principle is a personal and specific specific basis for action or conduct. And the reason that we do what we do and behave like we do as evangelical believers and worship on the first day of the week is not because we're Gentiles. It's because we're followers of Jesus and we're following what the early Jewish disciples did by worshiping on the first day of the week so that they could remember Jesus' crucifixion his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. And we do it because of that same principle, but also because of the pattern of the New Testament. There's several things we do because of that. And you say, well, I'm just going to do things according to the Bible. Well, Jesus did that, but he did things that were not in the Bible. 
I just mentioned the synagogue. Jesus went into the synagogue, according to Luke chapter 4, verses 15 and following. If you read that, the Bible says when he came out of the wilderness, he came to his own town of Nazareth and went into the synagogue on Shabbat, as was his custom, his manner, his habit, his behavior. You get it? You see, Jesus did things that were not Levitical. He did things that were not in the Old Testament. You see, synagogue worship was not in the Old Testament. That didn't come about to the Babylonian exile until the time of the Persians when it was solidified. It was once just the Beit Knesset. It was just the assembly house. And then it became a place where they studied Torah. All I'm saying to you is that's okay. Everything doesn't have to be in black and white for you to serve Jesus Jesus did many things that were only traditional, but they were good traditions. You see, you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater and say, well, you know, I'm not going to do anything just specifically assigned in the Bible. Well, you're not going to do very much at all. If you're not careful, you're going to become a cult or a cult leader or a cult follower, because that is not the way God speaks to us just in precept. God speaks to us in precept, in principle, that is, gives us a basis for conduct and in pattern. And this is over and over again in the scriptures. For instance, let me give you an example. The Bible nowhere says you shall not smoke cigarettes. You shall not use tobacco. But yet that is a no-no in our culture today. Well, I don't believe you need to be using tobacco. I don't think you need to be dipping it. I don't think you need to be chewing it. I don't think you need to get hooked on nicotine. It is a very, very hard drug to get off of. I know because I smoked for years and God saved me and delivered me from that and made me sick of them. I can't even get cooped up in a room with them anymore. But what I'm telling you is I still have a desire to smoke a cigarette every now and then. I've not smoked a cigarette in almost 50 years. I'm just telling you, I understand what you're saying, but there's nowhere where the Bible condemns cigarette smoking. But what it does condemn and what it does warn us about is the principle of the Holy Spirit living in our lives and our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we need to not only watch what we put in it, but how we use it, how we abuse it. But we also need to talk about what the scripture says in that gluttony is as the sin of drunkenness. Why? Because both of them are indulgence. I hear a lot of messages on wine and drunkenness and staying away from it. And you don't have to have wine to survive. Paul said, if I never drink wine, there's a greater principle than me being satisfied with wine. And that is, I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. But yet, Many people talk about gluttony and overeating and lying around like a bunch of hogs, and then they laugh about that. Oh, that's ha-ha funny. You wouldn't want to be laughing about a drunk that ran across a yellow line and killed somebody in your family. Let me tell you, gluttony is taking almost as big a toll, if not a greater toll, physically on America than alcohol. And I'll stand by that because I want to tell you, diabetes, due to not genetics, through genes, but through behavior is rampant and is costing Americans millions upon millions of dollars and lives are being shortened and made miserable because of diabetes, because of behavior. Now, all diabetes is not due to behavior, but I'm sure a lot of it is. And all I'm saying to you is there's the principle, the underlying principle of taking care of our body. You see, the body's important. God made the body. And we're going to have these bodies throughout eternity. They're going to be glorified, yes, but we're going to have them throughout eternity. And so when we come to the Bible, understand that God's going to speak to us in precept, principle, and pattern. When you find one in the scriptures, then mark it. Okay, this is a principle. 
This is a line item precept. Do this, don't do that. And look at the patterns in the scriptures. There's so many examples we could give for patterns in the scriptures that we're doing today, not because there's a command, not because there's some kind of stated principle, but because this is the way they did in the New Testament. And after all, God blessed that and he used that for his glory because almost every pattern in scripture was not based off of someone just making a decision, an arbitrary decision. It was based upon a principle or a precept in the scripture. I hope that helps. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.